This is What Book Hooked You. I'm Brock Shelley, and thanks for listening. On this episode, I get to talk to Addie Thornley, whose newest book, Night Spinner, is out on February 11th from Page Street. And you'll see in this conversation how her early books that she read as a child clearly impacts what she writes now, how she got into writing and that journey, and debut versus the follow-up book. What's that like? Uh, So great conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, So listen in. So Addie, what book hooked you? So I've always been a really big reader. And the first series that I really fell in love with was the Dear America series. Um, And they're historical novels that are diaries of girls set back in various different time periods. And I'm one of those people who always felt like I was born in the wrong time period. So I loved getting that peek into the lifestyle and customs and just everything that was going on back in history. And I really loved how personal and character driven they were. So those are the first books I really, really loved. But then on the flip side, I also had this strange obsession with Alice in Wonderland. And I read it probably 20 or 30 times. And all of my friends and my parents, they were like, why do you keep reading that? It doesn't make sense. But for me, it didn't need to make sense. I was reading it because I love the world building. That was, I just loved the magical, unexpected, kind of whimsical world. And I feel like both of those things strangely have influenced my own writing because I feel like my my strength is historical novels that are very character driven, but with big world building. Mm. So it's, it's kind of interesting to look back and to notice that about yourself. So, Great. so what's interesting about uh, the books you mentioned is, you know, and you've, and you've kind of said this kind of transforming to other worlds. So when you kind of think of yourself uh, as a child back then, were you kind of this kind of head in the clouds kind of girl that, that was very much always daydreaming and thinking about, you know, what if a unicorn walked in right now or my toys came alive or things like that. Yes. <laughs> I was such a head in the clouds girl. I remember when I'd be walking to the bus stop, I would be like on a horse in a medieval village, you know, and I'm riding towards, I don't even know what I was riding towards, but I was never in my head. I was never where I was physically and I still have that problem my husband will be like where are you I'm like I don't know (laughs) fantasy land that's why I'm an author um so yeah it's it was very much an escape for me but also like a game because I didn't really have anything I was escaping from I just loved being somewhere else somewhere more magical and so at the young age were you because you were having this imagination and things like that were you drawing pictures? Were you writing even stories back then? Was there a way that you were kind of getting this creative energy out? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I love to draw pictures. I love to write stories. Uh, I wanted to be an author illustrator for a really long time, which was great, except for I can't draw. <laughs> but I didn't find that out for a long time. Um, so yeah, I love to draw. I love to write stories. My mom has like boxes full of my picture books from when I was young that I drew myself. And I also really loved 
acting. I would write my own plays and then I would for I have four little brothers and sisters, so I would force them all to <laughs> to perform my sure. plays. And so then kind of as you grew uh, into adolescence, were books and imagination uh, still important to you and, and what role may have they have played? Yeah, books have always been important to me. I think when I was in my like high school years, I got really bogged down with soccer and I was trying to get a scholarship. And so I didn't have as much time to read, but I still loved to read. And I think I kind of transitioned then. I still loved the feeling of being in a different world, but I really loved Twilight and I really loved the Hunger Games. And yeah, I was definitely on the bandwagon, Team Edward. <laughs> Team Gale. <laughs> so then when did it, uh, when did the idea of wanting to be a writer and really pursue that come into play for you? So I always wanted to be a writer, but then, you know, your parents and teachers will tell you that that's not a very practical career choice and you better pick something that's going to make you money. <laughs> so I decided to go into journalism and I studied that in college and I worked in um, radio and television for a little while after college, but I really hated writing the news. I hated it. It was so depressing and so sterile and I could never have an opinion. And I just, I was raging against the news. And so I decided, I was like, why don't I try my hand at fiction? Because that's something where I can have all the opinions I want. I can be as funny as I want. I don't have to do all this depressing stuff, even though some sometimes my books are a little depressing, lots of death and destruction. Um, but so I decided, yeah, after college, I decided I'm going to actually give this a try. Um, and so I started writing, and I thought that I was the next great American novelist, of course, and it was terrible. <laughs> I had to write about four practice novels before I wrote anything that was even semi-good. But yeah, that's when I decided, no more news. I'm going in. I'm going to try to get published. And even if I don't, I'm going to write because it's fun. Do you think like uh, the whole uh, initial pursuit of journalism was all for nothing? Or have you found that in your fiction writing that you've been able to bring over any of those skills at all? Oh, it was absolutely helpful. I feel like um, one of the biggest things I learned while I was studying journalism is how to do good research. And as I write a lot of historical novels, that has been really invaluable. And just, you know, learning how to interview people and how to take good notes. And then also on kind of the other side, I was on camera and on the radio. So I feel like having learning how to have that kind of presence has helped me a lot with interviews, with podcasts like this, or even with uh, my events. Mm -hmm. So I'm super glad that I did journalism, but I'm also super glad I don't have to keep <laughs> doing journalism. <laughs> and so when you got into writing, kind of decided to kind of uh, start pursuing that, was it always sort of this, was it always going to be fantasy for you? Were those always going to be the stories you were going to tell? Yeah, it was always going to be a fantasy for me. It, but I also knew it was always going to be historical because that had just always been my happy place and my sweet spot. So when I started writing stories, I had no contemporary ideas and I still don't. And the thought of having to write um, a realistic high school <laughs> experience is so much more daunting to me than building an entire world. 
um, in, a, in a fantasy setting. So yeah, I think it has always been fantasy for me and it probably always will be. I never want to say never because one of my favorite genres to read is, I love thrillers. And so someday I would love to write one, but it will probably be set in a fantasy world. It'll be a fantasy thriller, my new hybrid genre. (laughs) And so last year uh, you had your debut, An Affair of Poisons. And so as you kind of mentioned, there were four other ones. So this was uh, your fifth book. So like thinking of, you know, each book was each of those other four, were those all books that you had hopes of and tried to, to get published? Yes. So I always knew when I started writing, I was like, all right, I want to be published. And I thought it would be a lot easier than it actually was, which I think a lot of people (laughs) find out once they start trying to get published. Um, But when I wrote that first novel, I was like, this is it. I have the best idea. I'm going to get an agent. It's going to sell. And boy, was I wrong. I think I sent out like 130 queries for that book. And I actually got, I don't know, 10 or 12 requests, which was pretty good, but no offers, no nothing. And I'm so grateful now because that book was terrible. Uh, I just didn't know it at the time. So then I wrote my next book and I actually didn't query that book. It was a strange Western. I don't even, I don't even know what to call it. It was magical realism, Western. I don't even know, but I knew it was too weird. So I didn't query that one. And then I got really serious with my third book and I had some really close calls that time. Um, But again, no agent, no book deal. And uh, it was finally my fourth manuscript that got me into Pitch Wars. It was the second year that Pitch Wars had been around. And I just happened to hear about it because I saw someone talking on Twitter. They're like, oh, this person got 11 full requests from agents from this contest. And I was like, what is this contest? So I entered and being able to work with a mentor um, was amazing. It really changed the writing game for me because up until that point, I hadn't really connected with a lot of online critique partners or kind of found my writing tribe. So it was just me in a vacuum trying to learn how to edit and I had no idea what I was doing. So Pitch Wars was the game changer for me. And because of Pitch Wars and my awesome mentor, I was able to get an agent for that fourth book. It didn't sell, but it was still the next step in the up, up the ladder for me. So I had little victories along the way that kept me going. <laughs> and when you think of uh, from where you first started to where you are now uh, in this pursuit, thinking about your writing, what do you think is like the biggest area in which you've improved in from when you first kind of uh, were starting out trying to pursue writing? Oh, gosh. Can <laughs> I say everything? Oh, my gosh. No, I think um, when I first started writing, I thought um, the language was really important. And I would find myself using really big, flowery words until because I was like, oh, this is beautiful. This makes it beautiful until agents started giving me the feedback that the language was detracting from the story. Mm-hmm. And I think that made me stop and think, wait, it doesn't matter how pretty it is if the story isn't compelling. So then I kind of switched my focus and tried to focus right in on story. And then I had to go back and add the prettiness in later. But I think I would say that and also my pacing. I was all over the place when I first started my books. So yeah, they had no good plot, so to speak of, and the pacing was terrible. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'd like to think I've come a long way, hopefully. And so what was it like then? Like, can you speak on sort of... Uh 
the trials I'll say, or just like the ups and downs you had of, of, you know, four books and, and the attempts and the close calls, uh, what kind of kept you going and, and wanting to pursue it even after all that time and all of, all of those letdowns and close calls that you kind of ran into? Oh man, it was, I guess, sheer determination and I'm just really stubborn. So I had just, I had discovered that I loved writing. And so I knew I was never going to stop writing. And then by the time I got a few books in, then I had invested so much time and I was like, I can't stop now. I have to, you know, stick it to the man. I have to prove to them that I can do this. And like I said before, I do think I had little, um, little victories along the way that kept me going. So that first book, even though it was terrible, I did get a lot of requests. So I was like, oh, I mean, it must not be too terrible. And then my second book that I queried, I had even more requests and some really close calls. So I was like, okay, I'm leveling up. It's getting a little better. And then getting into Pitch Wars was huge. And then getting an agent after that. And then I actually have had two more agents since then. So even once you think you've made it, it doesn't necessarily mean that the trials are over. But I think as long as you keep this perspective that you're writing because you love writing and because that's what makes you happy and because you have stories to tell, I think that helps you get get through the dark times. But also having someone who can kind of kick you in the butt. Because my husband all the time would be like groaning and laying on the couch, <laughs> lamenting. And he'd be like, stop that. Go write. Go write something. That's what you do. And I waited tables all through college. And I finally wasn't doing that anymore. And he would always um, threaten me. He'd be like, all right, well, that's fine if you want to quit writing. But you better go start uh, waiting tables again at Texas Roadhouse. And that would get me up off the couch every time. Because waiting tables is a soul-sucking yes, <laughs> business. Yes. I've done it, yes. So Yeah, so you understand. Absolutely. So like we mentioned, last year uh, was your debut in Affair of Poisons. And now this year you have uh, your newest book, Night Spinner. So let's talk about that and start by telling me what the book's about. Okay, so Night Spinner is a uh, gender-swapped reimagining of The Hunchback of Notre Dame. But instead of being set in Paris, it's set in this um, kind of icy tundra-inspired world. And it has a, they have a very fierce kind of warrior-style culture. And the main character, Enabish, is a girl who used to be one of the most elite warriors in the Sky King's army. But then she commits this terrible war crime. And she's banished to a monastery where she is supposed to live out the rest of her days. Um, but, as luck would have it, after two long years, her sister, her adoptive sister, who is also the the head commander of the army, um, returns and she comes to get her and makes her essentially an offer she can't refuse. She tells Enabish that if she can help her capture a notorious deserter who's been stealing army supplies, that she will see her released and reinstated. So Enabish starts off on this journey to capture this deserter um, but while she's hunting him across the tundra, she begins to uh, question the, her sister and the army that she's always served. So not everything is as black and white as she thought it was. What was the idea that uh, got you started on this book? So it's actually um, a song. This, this book kind of came about in a weird way because this never happens to me. But um, I randomly got the song out there from Disney's The Hunchback of Notre Dame stuck in my head. And it was just playing on loop again and again and again. And it was weird because I had not seen that movie in over a decade. 
I had not even thought about that movie, but suddenly there it was stuck in my head. Um, so I was singing it for about a week until one day when I was making deviled eggs for a party, I had this really clear image pop into my head of this scarred girl sitting on a temple rooftop um, in the dead of night. And she was fiddling with these threads that looked like darkness to me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is why I've been singing that song. This is it. This is boom. So I ran upstairs. I ran so fast I face planted. And I got on my computer. And in 10 minutes, I had knocked out the first initial, I guess, outline of what would become Night Spinner. And that was really weird for me because I'm a pantser, so I don't outline. I never know what's going to happen in my stories. But this book has just has always been different. It came to me like lightning. It was really easy for me to write. It was not easy to always edit. <laughs> but that's that's where it became better. But yeah, so it was kind of a interesting just shot out of the blue. And so, you know, when writing fantasy, how long or how much do you want to know about like the rules of the magic uh, when you're telling that story or do you kind of have to let it kind of play out and, and see what what the plot needs before you kind of set those boundaries for yourself oh this is a good question <laughs> um, I feel like I should let the plot tell me what the magic needs because that would make my life a lot easier but I feel like oftentimes I usually get caught up in the magic and I'm like, oh, this is so cool. It should do this and it should do this. And then I get, you know, 75% of the way through my draft and then I've painted myself into a corner because the rules of my magic are not very nice to me. <laughs> but so I try to give a good balance. But yeah, I, I would like to do my world building first and then make sure the magic fits. But it was kind of just a, I don't know, kind of like playing Jenga. You figure out, you move one and then you move the other until you find something that works. And you mentioned uh, with Night Spinner, uh, the gray area, and even in Affair of Poisons, there was that element where, like, is what people, the people that are say they're doing things for good, is it really ultimately good that they're doing? Mm -hmm. So are you always kind of looking for that, the gray area, like you said, or that kind of in-between or the, the questionable motives? Uh to create a compelling story. Absolutely. I think the gray is where all of the drama is. The gray is where all of the questions and the excitement and the story actually live, I think, because nobody is all good and all bad or, or all bad, you know, no, no matter how they try to present to the world. And I think navigating all of those different shades of gray is so interesting because, you know, at, at least in my head when I'm writing, I try to tell myself that the villain and the antagonist, they think that they're the hero of their own story. You know, everyone is doing what they think is best and trying to decipher where actual like moral good lies on that line is just fascinating to me. So that's definitely something I like to explore in all of my novels. And when you work in the, the fictional aspect or the historic aspect, to the, the fantasy fiction that you're writing, is it more just using that historical aspect as more of like a style guide or do you really get too much into the historical elements of the story? Do you try to really handcuff yourself to some of those things or do you kind of make the fantasy the, the in the forefront and make that the most important? I like that you described it as handcuffs because sometimes those <laughs> historical details do feel like handcuffs. Um, 
I think it's it's been a little bit different from my two books with An Affair of Poison since it was based on a historical event that I did then tweaked. So it's alternate history. But I did feel a little bit um, more tied to the actual history. And I tried to include the real historical fl- figures that were players and the years. And I tried to get the timeline fairly right. So I felt a little more pinned down, you might say, in that instance. Whereas Night Spinner, since it's not actually historically set it just has a historical feel i definitely think it was more of a style guide for the world building and how they would talk and what weapons they would use and things like that and so i think i don't know i found that i kind of like to do one historical fantasy project then one straight fantasy then i usually write another historical because i like alternating between the research and the restriction and then once i'm done with a book like that i want freedom and I want to be able to create and not have to worry about staying true to quite as many things. So it's kind of nice to be able to do both. Yeah. So An Affair of Poisons was your was your debut. It was your fifth book after other tries at it. Now Night Spinner is your, is your follow-up a year later. How much difference does it feel from uh, the lead-up to Poisons to now your second book just in – the anticipation, I'm sure you were working, there was so much going on while you were working on Night Spinner. Does it feel like so much different than debuting? Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, I'm I'm just as excited because Night Spinner is kind of the book of my heart, but there's nothing quite like being a debut. You're just so worried and you have so much anxiety and you think that every blog post is the most important thing that's ever happened. And if you get that, like the first time you get a one star on Goodreads, you think your life is over. You know, there's just so many ups and downs and angst in the debut year. And I do feel a little bit of that now, but mostly I'm so caught up in writing the sequel to Night Spinner that I haven't had a lot of time to angst over the release of this book. So it's it's good and it's bad. Sometimes I feel like I'm having less fanfare just inside of myself and that I don't like that because I'm like, no, you work just as hard on this book. I, you should celebrate. But then part of me is like, act like a professional, act like you've been there before, write the next book. So it's definitely been interesting and better and worse in, in some ways. And so because you're uh, a fantasy writer, when it when you have time to read for pleasure, do you primarily stay within fantasy? Do you purposely try to go outside of that genre and category because you don't want it to influence you? What do you find your reading habits tend to be like? So my reading habits, when I'm drafting, I usually don't read any fantasy because, I, like I said, I don't want to be in someone else's world. I don't want to feel influenced by their characters or what they're doing. So when I'm drafting, I like to read very different. I like I said, I read a lot of thrillers, so I primarily read those. And then if I'm not drafting, then I love to read fantasy. And I do try to read a lot of fantasy because I want to see what's coming out and what's on the market and where there's space. And also, it's just, it's my favorite. It's what I like to read. It's what I like to write. So yeah, I think I'll always read fantasy, just not when I'm in the throes of writing my own. And so Night Spinner, uh, there will eventually uh, be a sequel to the book. So was that always the plan or did how did that come about oh I sure hoped it was (laughs) I always I knew when I wrote this book that I didn't want to say goodbye after one book Um, but I actually didn't let myself 
um, draft or even outline a sequel because with my previous books that had to be shelved, I had wanted those to be uh, series and I had planned the series. Thankfully, I didn't write the entire series any of those times, but I had planned out all of those books. And then when they didn't sell, it was really crushing and I felt like I had wasted so much time. So I didn't want to jinx myself. So I didn't plan anything. And then when Night Spinner sold, they were like, okay, well, you left this very open at the end. What happens next? And I said, oh, shoot. Now I actually, like, I got what I wanted, but now I have to figure out how to write a sequel. So that's been a really interesting experience and a fun one, but a learning experience. And so with that sequel, have you found that because of what you've established in the first book, that with a sequel, you sort of painted yourself in a corner in certain aspects because there is already magic rules and things that are in the first book that you now have to live by in the second book. Yes. Thankfully, not anything too big, but as I've been drafting the second book, I've definitely had moments where I'm like, oh, if I could just go back and change this one tiny thing, it would make my life so much easier now. Um, But for the most part, I actually have really liked already knowing my world and already knowing my magic and just getting to expand on that and explore it more. Um, I didn't set up anything too terrible that really got me stuck as of yet. I mean, I'm not done with the book yet, so we'll see, but so far so good. And with those four books that were kind of your first attempts, has there any ever been anything that you have borrowed from? in any of the things that have been published or will be published? Oh, for sure. I've had characters that I really loved or some snippets of dialogue. I keep massive, massive documents of all of my deleted scenes that I really liked. So for sure, I have scavenged those. I'll go back through and be like, oh, this is really compelling. I really liked this character interaction or I liked this plot point. So yeah, there. I've actually, some people ask me if I ever want to go back and try to rework some of those first novels. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, I can't because I took all the best parts Mm -hmm. out of them. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. definitely borrowing. Well, let's wind down. And as I do, I'll ask you a few questions. The first one being, what is your favorite movie that's based on a book? So this is probably not going to be a surprise at all based on one of my first answers, but I love the Hunger Games trilogy. I think that's such a fantastic adaptation. I love all of them. So that is for sure my favorite. Right. And is there a book or a series of books you're willing to admit you've either never read or never finished? Oh, my gosh. The list is so long. I was a kind of a rebel in high school, <laughs> and I hated being told what to read. Mm-hmm. So I actually didn't read any of it. So I have never read, like, Catcher in the Rye. Mm-hmm. I've never read, What are the other ones? Grapes of Wrath, The Scarlet Letter. Basically, any of your classic novels. Sure. I have never read, so that's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> but I read the Spark Notes. Does that count? Some, it has to. You at least, I'm sure you passed a few quizzes doing that. Oh, I did. I yeah, I got an A. So I guess there you go. <laughs> there's something there. And finally, what is the last great book that you've read? Oh, this is such a this is such a hard question because there are so many good ones, but I think I have to say. Um, A Criminal Magic by Lee Kelly. It came out a few years ago now, but I find myself rereading it again and again because it's just so compelling. It's set in the 1920s, and Prohibition is on magic instead of alcohol. 
So again, it's that sweet spot of history and magic, and her world building is just amazing. It's so immersive and fast-paced, and it has two points of view, and it's just, it's my bread and butter. So that is one of my favorite books ever, and it's the best, great, the last great book that I've read. Great. Well, Eddie, Night Spinner comes out on February 11th from Page Street Books, and I wish you and this book all the best. Thank you so much, Brock. Thank you for having me. And that's the end of this episode. I want to thank Annie for joining me. Again, her newest book, Night Spinner, is out on February 11th. You can also check out her debut, An Affair of Poison, which is out now. And I hope you'll check out some of our other great episodes uh, that we've had with some YA people. I'm Brock Shelley, and until next time, keep reading. <laughs>